You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. Before we begin, as always, we would like to thank all our listeners for their support. Uh, please continue to listen to us and spread the word you know, about our podcast to your uh, cricket-loving friends. If you haven't already done this, please subscribe to our podcast on uh, the platform that you're listening to us on, be it uh, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, CastBox, or anything like this. Uh, you can find us by searching for the text Armchair Cricket Podcast on these platforms, and uh, you should be able to find us uh, quite easily over there. Uh, and do not forget to leave us a rating, preferably a five-star rating, uh, and provide your feedback um, you know, on whichever platform you listen to us on. You can also reach out to us by email. Our email address is armchair.cricket at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at armchaircrickpod. You can find us uh, you know, active on Twitter when there was, whenever there is a, a match ongoing. You can join us there for a banter. You can also find us on Facebook. Um, all the links uh, are mentioned in the description box below. So now... Having said that, it is now time to welcome my co-host, Ajit. Hello, Ajit. How are you doing? Doing any better? Hi, Giri. Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, not too much. It looks like, uh, you know, it's one of those colds that's not uh, going away under a week or so. So uh-huh. I'm still recovering. Uh, so it's been sort of a slowish week. Yeah. I'm taking it easy and not doing too many things. How about you? Well, not bad myself. Uh, although, you know, I, I don't think there is any... Uh, cure for this uh, just noticing that uh, rcb have lost on the trot for the fifth time now so it's probably as well, good as done but, <laughs> but i think uh, life goes on nevertheless indeed well i mean hope is always there isn't it yeah mathematically do you think they still have a chance well let's come to that in a bit anyway all right yeah maybe mm-hmm. we can first pick up the trivia question isn't yeah it? right all right so um the trivia question from last week was that uh, who is the only player to have played in an ODI World Cup final and later adjudicated it also as an umpire, right? So this was sort of a question that would I was hoping uh, provoke uh, thinking in our listeners and our friends. Uh, but I was sort of disappointed nobody guessed the answer right, right? So as I gave a hint last time, we our questions are mostly targeted towards the same team we discussed quite a lot. So last week we had discussed Sri Lanka and their chances in the World Cup. So the player who, whose name was I think mentioned even once or twice uh, was uh, indeed Kumara Dharmasena. So Kumara Dharmasena played the 1996 final as a off-spinner for Sri Lanka. So he's a, match, he's a World Cup winner of course. And in the 2015 World Cup he had the opportunity of officiating in the final in the final between Australia and New Zealand, which Australia clinched, he was one of the officiating umpires. So this is the answer to our trivia question. So uh, only thing I would really request that uh, our uh, followers and our friends 
also participate in this uh, trivia question we would be very happy if you were to make guesses and it doesn't matter if they are wrong and it we don't stop you from making a you know search on the internet and then telling us the answer it's not a problem so it would be very you know uh, encouraging for us if you guys were to let us know what the answer is all right then now i think giri we can resume our uh, well uh, yeah. our pathos about rcb and so on so as you were saying it never seems to end <laughs> well just lump to a final uh, or a yeah. low five result yeah. unfortunately in this match in the latest match well uh, it was all sort of you know uh, as i was tweeting earlier today they have run they have run into one of nature's uh, beasts or one of freaks of nature and this guy he's been defying expectations for like i think four matches in a row where he has scored at a strike rate of 220 or more mm-hmm. to win the match for his team so uh, it looked uh, dead and buried as far as uh, rcb were concerned the match was home and dry mm. but this guy had different ideas so you know but did you follow this match or something well i was fortunate enough to watch rcb bat and uh, bat well for a change and then when i saw the score was uh, 205 or something i thought rcb had a good chance because i think 200 is about a par score uh, at uh, chinnaswamy stadium mm-hmm. um so i thought rcb are within a chance uh, and i think i saw the score sometime uh, during the middle overs and then rcb still had an advantage mm-hmm. over kkr i think kkr were not there yet but i saw under uh, russell was batting but he hadn't taken off yet so i thought it was probably you know still is go- it was going to be a close match but in the end i thought rcb was going to pull this off and then i had other things to do and then when i came back and then i saw you know result then <laughs> i mean i was i was not surprised <laughs> that uh, dre ras could finish it off you know even with five balls to spare i think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unbelievable hitting in the 19th over uh, team saudi happened to bear the brunt of uh, dre ras's uh, wrath uh-huh. um so this guy is amazing so muscular uh, i don't know where i mean we know where he gets his power from but uh, the kind of hitting such clean hitting yeah uh, against somebody of a uh, team saudi's class he's no he's not really uh, such a bad bowler you know he's a test bowler he's a very good experienced bowler yeah um so team saudi uh, went for a lot of runs in that 19th over i don't know maybe 25 plus i think mm-hmm. which basically sealed the match and um, i think if we look at um what happened before i think dreros was dropped right was he dropped Uh, no, Dreyfus wasn't dropped, but I mean, some other things happened. Of course, there were. I think Chris Lynn was dropped. I think Chris, Chris Lynn was dropped. Was yeah. So there were some drops in the field. RCB were uh, very bad, and I think uh, in uh, not holding on to such catches mm-hmm. and catches win matches. So, so th- they lost it uh, with those drops, as well as I think some average bowling, and also some. I think the plans were also not right. I think you were mentioning this offline, mm-hmm. uh, Ajit, about not. bowling moin ali for example uh, and not bowling the spinners uh, until the end so well i mean you're right you know you've covered uh, some of the points i wanted to mention but just a couple of counterpoints to that well first of all the bad fielding so i think siraj is a particular culprit i think <clears throat> he'll show up again and again in our discussion but uh, let's go mm-hmm. through that first of all not completing the spinners overs earlier today in the match uh, where uh, chennai super kings and um the uh, mumbai indians defended low totals you saw how important the spinners are in the middle overs yeah yeah that was i think a mistake on the captaincy front 
the other one of course the catches so navdeep uh, navdeep saini was the guy that dropped chris lean on one mm. and then um, you know uh, mohammad siraj dropped him at extra cover again uh, deep extra cover you know that was very weird and <clears throat> unfortunately uh, not bowling mohin ali probably i was expecting mohin ali would be bowled uh, just uh, from the last over of the power play onwards or something and he would bowl well into 12th over or something mm. not even using two of his overs when you know your faster bowler bowlers are going for a lot of runs that was a clear clear uh, you know lack of a, probably they had a plan and probably moin ali did not have a you know a role in that plan but mm. there was no on the field changing nothing in the those strategy breaks nothing there was no strategy really in those breaks mm. that was a weird thing for me to see because you know gary kasten is a very uh, very experienced coach and uh, for him to miss such an op- obvious thing was weird now coming to the end overs look they it was 66 runs of 24 balls you are absolutely right and russell may have done it time and time again but do you really say does lightning strike twice or thrice or whatever apparently it keeps striking with this guy <laughs> but if you come one step further it was first against siraj who sort of lost his cool even again today we saw it that you know uh, the i think it was deepak chahar who was bowling the not deepak chahar but uh, yeah his brother who was bowling the you know the penultimate over for chennai super kings he sort of lost his cool but he also bowled two no balls one of which was a beamer but then dhoni sort of calmed him down you could clearly tell see him yeah. just gesturing and telling get back to the basics deliver you know five six regular balls let them hit them let them hit you however far they want it will not your mind will calm down you will bowl well don't worry it worked out so he had considered eight runs without even bowling a single ball mm. and from then on He's actually mm. uh, considered only five runs in the next six balls and took the wicket. But Deepak Chahar, having bowled those two beamers, uh, should he have not been allowed to bowl? Do you think? Because I, I think, think the umpires deemed they were less yeah. dangerous. Those balls. I think no, no. He was he was only bowled one beamer. His first one was an overstepping ball, no ball. No, no. I I thought they were both uh, over uh-huh. waistline. Yeah, yeah. And oh, the first see. ball was uh, played by Sarfraz Khan to the third man boundary. He just guided it. right over the slips and uh, yeah. the second was also pretty much similar i think uh, they were they i think both... uh, they were lucky then to get away with no it. but i think uh, i heard the commentator say it must have been danny morrison yeah, i don't know mm. who it was but he said because these two beamers were not dangerous they were not at the body or something they were away from the body so right 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 so the umpires had uh, so i think deepak chahar got away there uh, <laughs> okay but siraj didn't in the bangalore's match siraj didn't and he had to be taken off right as a result stoinis came to bowl and two sixes was considered of those two balls that that and basically that's exactly where bangalore lost the plot because mm. they gave the momentum to russell who was already in a good form of course mm. right but he got these additional balls to play with and then uh, when tim saudi came on to bowl he had 32 to defend you know tim saudi is actually a finishing bowler for new zealand in shorter forms as well mm. unfortunately he went for 29 runs that was unexpected because Russell, he kept trying these short ones, right? He he kept trying to bowl a shorter, slower ball, and Russell was just sitting back in the crease and waiting. And with his power, all he had to do was swing it, and it used to go away, right? Yeah. I saw the highlight. It sort of left me with a numb feeling because it looked like I was able to predict what was going on, but these international players couldn't understand. Be it the captaincy changes or Tim Saudi failing to adapt. Anyway, it's it's by the by, but. I mean, let's just say Royal Challengers season is more or less over now. So, yeah. what they have is a chance to rebuild from here. You know, it's like one of those Test match series where, when the Test match series is lost, if you are any players who feel like you know a surplus to the team can be dropped, 
and you introduce new blood already knowing that the series is lost and you have nothing to lose already i think at least for the fans like me and you we are already in that mindset maybe if the management concedes this it's time to probably try a new captain try newer players they didn't try the bench strength at all there are plenty of people who are waiting to bat and bowl and you know field so maybe it's time to try the bench strength i mean go for broke basically they have nothing to lose right and they can still win the wooden spoon right <laughs> probably will that's still wooden. probably there in their plan well i mean as you were saying offline they may have some tough competition from delhi capitals or what did you call them <laughs> delhi capitulates i think this is what sanjay manjrekar called them well, I mean, it's almost cuteus but we'll we'll forget yeah. one of those okay all right mm-hmm. so that was our quick uh, you know chat about uh, rcb now there were a couple of other interesting points still related to ipl that we wanted to discuss right mm. so ashwin was saying well this monkering discussion is going on and on because you know uh, butler questioned this is a wishy washy rule why is it still there and ashwin said if it's there i'm going to use it why don't you remove it from the cricketing rules right but i don't know if you saw today's match with uh, when chennai was uh, <coughs> trying to set up a score i think rayudu who was running with uh, dhoni mm-hmm. sort of used this uh, you know made sure he took an advantage of a yard or so every time the bowler was about to deliver mm. you saw why this rule is in place right yeah yeah process is to prevent this sort of a situation where the batsman sort of takes a whole yard even before the ball leaves the ba- uh, bowler's hand or whatever mm-hmm. so uh, i think it there is still place for it only thing is the judicial usage of it right mm-hmm. what we saw last week was that you know ashwin's uh, usage was a bit harsh but mm-hmm. nonetheless when what we saw today happens it it behooves the bowler to probably use such uh, such a law and to his advantage and maybe warn the batsman once that's the gentlemanly spirit of cricket mm-hmm. but then run him out you know so yeah. it was interesting maybe today either the <clears throat> support staff did not notice it or maybe they were a bit hesitant to you know not enforce it simply because it would be called to action or it would be called to be too too much what do you think about it um I think Ashwin also mentioned this. I think the T20 game or the limited overs game, the white ball cricket, is stacked against the bowler to start with. So mm-hmm. it's it's never an almost no ball or an almost uh, wide. It's it's always clear, right? I mean, if he oversteps, uh, then it's clearly a no ball. It, the 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 umpire doesn't warn him saying you're overstepping. So next time you do that, I'm going to give you give you know you know call that a no ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's nothing like that. So the batsman. Um, uh he can stand outside it outside his crease when he's taking stance uh against a bowler he can st- stand right next to the stumps or you know covering the stumps so the batsman has a lot of options to be honest um so i think what ashwin also said there in the end was that the bat- batsman might still stay outside the crease however his bat should be you know inside so the the batsman himself might stand outside the crease but you know the bat should still be grounded and inside the crease exactly. it still gives him a head start yeah however it's also you know a bit fair uh, for the bowler so he, even when he's trying to deliver the ball the batsman hasn't taken off like ambati raidu was doing today and basically run in half a run already before dhoni uh, put bat on ball right so i think yeah. it it was a bit of an unfair advantage that raidu was gaining but then uh, so i mean i think mcc needs to have a look at this or the icc in general uh, needs to revisit this rule and then see if it's relevant in this uh, modern era because if people want to steal runs like this it might well uh, need to be looked at um, and 
and I think uh, we also noticed that batsmen are running more twos these days, right? The people, whatever used to be basically a tip and run for a single in the past, they even played in the gap and then they run two almost every other time these days. And that's probably also because the non-striker has been gaining a bit of an advantage. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm in favor of what Ashwin has said, although coming back to the dismissal of uh, Butler, I think Ashwin did not, I still, uh, you know, believe that Ashwin did not act uh, on instinct. It was planned. Uh, but, and again, you know, this real, uh, this rule really needs to be uh, looked at in detail and then see if we can make a small amendment here to make it more fair you know, for the bowler. Exactly. I mean, maybe warning has to be introduced, maybe. It was interesting that it was the case and they removed it. Mm. I don't know the historical context of why the warning that need to be given was removed, maybe mm. to make it easier for the bowlers, you know. Then I think MCC will keep quiet because they're happy with the way their law is. So that means the bowler can continue monkering batsman, right? Mm. But I mean, just to go back one step, I will play the devil's advocate. I'll, I will sort of defend the rules of cricket as they are. The game has to be stacked in favor of the batsman. We sort of discussed it uh, mm. while back in one of the previous episodes because mm. otherwise there is a high likelihood with a very competitive bowling attack or a very threatening one, even with all the protective equipment and all that people do wear, they could be well, very well carried off or just be dismissed in half an hour, right? Then it would not be a contest. I mean, when you have a stadium full of people yeah. waiting on you for a contest, you don't want that to happen in any condition. At the end of the day, this is still a sporting event, isn't it? That's yeah. the only reason why the rules will always be stacked in favor of the batsman because 10 good balls is enough to end any innings, right? The IPL, you know, is not real cricket for me anyway. So it's just entertainment. Um, but it's really sad that a bowler always has to suffer. Uh, I know you're playing devil's advocate in favor of the batsman. But then again, I think for these limited over tournaments, they still should have a look at this. Because every run matters and, you know, these high octane matches can go either way. Uh, like it did with uh, RCP. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. maybe in test cricket they can keep it clean and I think in test cricket nobody generally tries to take an advantage if there is a hostile bowling uh, attack on one end the non-striker will really like to stay <laughs> at the non-striker's end and let the other exactly. guy you know, play the whole over out so I think it's still protected in terms of test cricket it's still okay there uh, but in limited overs cricket we may have to look at it or the ICC may need to look at it again but it's probably another discussion we can go on and on i think uh, but it's good that ashwin has you know brought this rule into spotlight again having mankated uh, josh butler so it's it's got the whole cricketing world talking about this now so which is good i think they need to question these things i think it's it's always good to uh, visit the rule book and then see how relevant it is in this day and age indeed no it's a very relevant point because look you hit the nail on the head when you said uh, the rules of cricket were invented for test cricket where such a monkering or such a run sling was never in focus, right? Then they have yeah. been extended to the shorter formats. Maybe it's time that some of these rules are also evolving. So anyway, we'll probably discuss more in the upcoming episodes. Let's see how this saga you know, <laughs> uh, builds. So now, uh, going on, Ganguly, Saro Ganguly has been asked to answer the conflict of interest question. So uh, basically, three people from Kolkata, three people with interest of CAB or Cricket Association of Bengal, whose uh, president Ganguly is, have written to the ombudsman, the BCCI ombudsman, and asked him if Ganguly can rightly serve as a consultant on the Delhi Capitals team, right? 
So this ombuds, ombudsman, Mr. Jain, or Justice Jain, has questioned Ganguly, and Ganguly says he will be responding by tomorrow, that is 7th of April, right? It, it's, it's a very interesting point for me because he's a salaried employee of a cricket board, uh, at least regional one, but he's now a consultant at uh, Delhi Capitals. What do you think about it, uh, Kiri? Uh, how do you define the role of a consultant? Is he employed by the franchise or is he just, you know, a real consultant who is there on a need basis? How do you uh, actually describe this word consultant here? I mean, look, it's that's where the role of the law is one thing and the spirit of the law is another, as they say, right? <laughs> so the rule of the law would be that you would uh, require to have, uh, you know, uh, a zero-hour contract and you would be on a need as mm. when needed basis. That's a consultant, mm. right? But you know how yeah. the IT world works. We're all consultants, we call ourselves, but we're there every day, all the time. So, you know, that's probably how this, uh, let's say the phrase is being used in Ganguly's case, because we know he participates in sort of net sessions with Delhi Capitals and all that. Yeah. And look, they have a entire coaching staff. They have Ponting leading the coaching staff as the head coach. They have a mentor, all that, right? And Ganguly is a consultant. So he basically is there only to advise them on matters of, I don't know, whatever they require to be addressed. So when it comes to that, he's allowed to do that. But then, and as long as he's not a salaried and, a, you know, identified member of a coaching staff or a support staff, they can't actually ask him. So, I, I mean, I really don't see he would not have thought about this. So there are some loopholes uh, in the rules as they stand. And as a result, he's there. But, you know, it's a relevant point. And uh, let's also keep an eye on this because I think in one of the upcoming episodes, we can get a chance to talk about it again because these guys, this this is a developing saga. We will have more episodes in this, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, before we go away from the IPL section, I think you observed some interesting points about Dhoni's bats, which bats he starts with, etc. Would you like to elucidate on that? Yeah. I don't know if, if this is just a coincidence, but this is what I observed, right? So, uh, in the international cricket, he was playing against Australia uh, in India. I noticed that he changed his bat. He previously used a bat which was made by the company called Spartan. Um, so, he changed to uh, SS bats in that ODI series, right? And then he continued with uh, both of them at the, in the, in, during, during the initial few matches in the IPL. However, um, <laughs> I think I noticed in the last couple of matches, especially the one which was played today uh, between CSK and uh, Kings Eleven Punjab in Chennai. Uh, what I noticed was when Dhoni started his innings, he started with an SS bat, or I think it's called Sunridges uh, bat. And then as he got on and then he uh, got acquainted with the pace of the wicket and then he started playing a few shots, he switched to another bat. I think the bat manufacturer's name is uh, BAS. Bass probably stands for Beat All Sports. I think it, I don't know. I don't remember the acronym. I think that's what it means. I see. So these are Bass Vampire bats. I think Bass Vampire bats were used by him uh, when he began, uh, when he when he started out uh, uh, playing international cricket for India way back in 2004-2005. I vividly remember him scoring that uh, 183 runs against uh, Sri Lanka with the same BAS Bass bat. So, so he probably has gone back to that manufacturer, but I also noticed it has a longer handle. And with that bat, he's able to hit more of those power strokes. He, he, he's able to, you know, put the momentum forward and also hit those big sixes. So he starts with one bat and then he finishes the innings with another bat. There's, there might be a pattern here. 
however it's also probably based on his how he feels at that moment so so i, I will keep an eye out whenever i get a chance uh, as to what he does but it's very strange that a guy plays with two different bats uh, but that's probably the way forward i don't know <laughs> start with one and then uh, finish with another right I, in the old days i think people really had the same bat all through the year but these guys have so many bats these days so well i mean you're right so i think it is not a you know it's not something you just maybe missed but i think it's a very astute observation giri because yes why not so you have a short handled bat where the there is more meat in the you know bottom of the bat where you are beginning your innings and you are getting your drives going and you are able to settle down mm. and you are assess the pitch and then uh, towards the end of the innings you call the long handled short bats where uh, you know uh, the meat is uh, concentrated all over and you can use it as a club right? yeah yeah the, even they had this experiment with the mongo's bat i remember exactly. playing with it yeah. you, so it did not take off here but uh, you were saying something no no i, I remember matthew hayden uh, even uh... played this in the IPL in the initial couple of uh, seasons and the IPL he even brought this out to play with the mongoos bat i think it was like you said it was not so successful but maybe uh, there is again a shift towards uh, having long handled bats uh, you know for these power hitters yes i mean there's always you know it's called long handled taking the long handle after mm. there's such an expression in cricket meaning hitting out right so i mean they is literally bringing it to fruition but it's right? not so Take pronounced it. i have to say it's not so pronounced it's just ah. a little longer it's not like the mongoose bats which really had a long handle and a you know a big bottom but uh, right interesting well i mean let's see yeah it's 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 a full topic for another day because we we could go into the manufacture of bats and also look at every bat comes with a sh and an lh or a short handle and a long handle so yeah. the bat body is exactly the same but depending on the height of the player wielding it Yeah, handle of the bat can be extended. Yeah, this... another another point about bats because since we are talking about bats, I don't want to take too much time, but I just want to mention this. So there are right now when I was watching all these matches uh, during this IPL, um so majority of the hitters or the power hitters uh they use these Indian bats which are made by SS and uh, SG, you know, SS I think it stands for Sareen Sports. Uh-huh. SG uh-huh. is uh, Sanspreel's Greenlands. So yes. even all these foreign players like uh, the players from the caribbean for example uh, dreras uh, kyron pollard uh, even shane watson so these guys are using indian bats right now if you remember shane watson in his prime was using gm bats kanan moore i see uh, okay. and uh, um, and i think kyron pollard probably started with uh, slazenger bats v500 or something like that and then he was using something else and then he's now switched to uh, ss these ss bats are really good all these indian guys have all started switching to these ss bats uh, those with with no sponsors of course uh, you know for example virat kohli uses an mrf bat so does uh, shikhar dhawan rohit sharma uses seat bats you know can go on and on but so majority of these players uh, you can see at least i think 60 to 70% of them use these ss or sg bats uh, and i think there is probably a reason behind this i think these bats are more suitable to uh, indian conditions as well as for power hitting so I, i will keep an eye out um, and there is another bat manufacturer called sf um, i think there that's probably stanford these are called stanford bats uh, i've seen guys like uh, owen morgan use this this is also an indian bat i think uh, if i'm not wrong these bats are ma- mostly made in the either the punjab region or uh, in mm. the kashmir region i know in the uh, uh, northern part of india or on right. the other side of the border right uh, you know right. cl code for example mm. so these cl codes bats you have bats like ca you have you seen those bats used by pakistani batsmen so these are all from cl code 
and i noticed yes, in yes. the last uh, odi series between uh, uh, west indies and england uh, owen morgan scored a century remember along with josh butler those big centuries where they made around 400 plus runs uh, uh-huh. plus runs uh-huh. owen morgan until then was using the sf bat and in that match i noticed he switched to ca so so i see these guys are choosing their bats you know quite uh, how do you say i mean quite frequently and uh, they, they make changes so i don't know how this works uh, i think in the in the in the in the past people would probably stick with the same kind of bat like i said for a long duration whatever they were used to and these guys are you know chopping and changing so it's a different way of uh, you know um, approaching the game i think it's changing so much these days so i will keep an eye out for this as and when i can and then maybe i'll collect all these and then you know we can probably do a feature episode on this it's, it's indeed very, i mean very fascinated mm-hmm. by these bats that are on the market and another point david warner before mm-hmm. him man was using granicols and now he's back to uh, ipl and he's now using a spartan bat which is also used by of course you know universe boss i see i, I see. see well i mean maybe spartan is the way to redemption indeed <laughs> all right uh, so coming back to i mean really man i'm very impressed with you know you have this encyclopedic knowledge of bats used by players and so on and so on it's one of those <laughs> to me a minor detail that i usually miss because i'm more uh, too involved in what's going on and other things so uh, fantastic that you notice these things and you have sort of noted them mentally so definitely it warrants a different you know a section one of these days yeah. where we can talk a little bit more about bats cricketing bats how they are made and you know also we can as you say go into a bit more detail on what sort of player uses what sort of a bat and uh, let's do this man thanks a lot for bringing it up and we can store it for a future episode yeah no cool all right now um having finished all that because there is no other live cricket or uh, live international cricket let me put it like this yeah. currently going on i think we can switch over to the west indian team and uh, so this is west indian team i mean is the world cup 2019 preview where we look at one team every episode and we are trying to see uh, their you know history of their cricket maybe a few other things right so uh, let's quickly take a look at the west indian team now so in this episode we will be reviewing the west indian team and their you know fortunes so uh, with that i would like to just go quickly into the west indian uh, world cup history right mm-hmm. they have uh, they have a very rich history as we know they are the first champions of uh, you know one day cricket one day world cups they won the tournament twice in the 75 and 79 final and uh, you know they lost very narrowly to india so if you look at their overall results they they have played 74 matches they have won 42 matches and lost 30 and there were two matches with no results and as we know their best result is 75 and 79 where they won the world cup if you look at the leading batters right of uh, west indies in the world cups so there are no surprises there the top two are um brian charles lara and richards right mm. so uh, in 34 matches lara at an average of 42 scored 1225 runs with mm-hmm. 200 and richards in 23 matches scored 1013 runs with uh, an average of 63 that's an amazing average oh, amazing. in the top 5 you have uh, lara richards chandrapal Chris Gale and Haynes so Chris Gale who's still the only player in the top 5 and if you extend this to the top 10 well Marlon Samuels steps in at number 10 right so these are the best batters for west indies in the world cups and when you look at the bowlers you have walsh who was the best bowler with 17 matches he took 23 wickets uh, sorry 27 wickets and then andy roberts 
who took uh, 26 wickets in 16 matches and then ambrose who took uh, 24 match, uh, wickets in 17 matches mm. right in the top 5 you are in the current players let's mm. say you have jerome taylor who took 23 wickets in 14 matches but i don't think jerome taylor is in and around the west indian one day team these days right and adreras and russell he has uh, 18 wickets from 10 matches uh, these are the in the top 10 there is no other current player right so this these were some you know top uh, let's say uh, wicket takers and uh, uh, batsmen but when you look at uh, matches as uh, you know the captaincy aspect of west indies so this is where you get a good idea of why they won the first two world cups because in the first two world cups it was chris lloyd um, sorry um, uh, lloyd basically right? live lloyd live lloyd thank you <laughs> i sort of missed my mind i don't know why chris came up but anyhow live lloyd chris gale i guess yes i think so and uh, he uh, led them in 17 matches and 115 of them across the first three world cups right wow. uh, with a amazing percentage of 88.23 then wow. you have in the 83 world cup it was still him but then 87 world cup it was uh, ian richards uh, sir isaac vivian <laughs> i'm going to stop saying their uh, given name something is wrong so he led them in six matches and lost three of them and then in the 92 and 96 world cup it was uh, richie richardson mm-hmm. who again led them in 14 matches mm-hmm. uh, he won seven and lost seven and then lara who led them in the 99 and the 2007 world cup had the same record 14 matches 7 lost 7 1 then it's not been very nice because darren sammy who led them in the 2011 world cup only uh, again seven matches 3 1 four lost right and then uh, in the 2015 world cup and 2003 world cup again the record is dwindling because carl hooper in six matches there was one no result but he had a positive win ratio he won three and lost two Mm-hmm. and uh, jason holder in the last world cup 2015 world cup he played uh, seven matches as captain won three and lost four so this is where you see the captaincy has made a big difference under clive lloyd and richie richardson's captaincy they were still very successful but later on they are dwindling force in the world cricket but maybe who knows you know a renaissance is due right yeah, yeah. so we just looked at some of the stats but to get a clear understanding of their history and their performances and maybe also you know a quick uh, deep dive into the squads uh, we had a guest who contributed a small uh, snippet and uh, this is a friend of the show chetan and uh, he he is actually a tennis coach by profession but he is very enthusiastic about cricket all these years i have that i've known him and uh, he has sent us a small snippet that we would like to you know uh, we would like to let him introduce west indian team and their chances so uh, having said that i think let's now have a listen to chetan and what he has to say about the west indian chances at the world cup we are here today talking about the chances of west indies uh, depending on the squad and their uh, history in the world cup i think first we'll uh, take a look at the history of uh, west indies cricket in the world cup uh, The World Cup started in the year 1975 and it was mainly dominated by the West Indies until they lost the uh, final at Lords in 1983. That was mainly because they had stalwarts of cricket at that time and they were dominating even the test format. The number of match winners in the West Indies side uh, led by uh, Vivian Richards 
was amazing and uh, the whole of the cricketing world were fearful of their 11 and the bench strength the bowling with the likes of joel gardner andy roberts to the batting cap and back batting of viv richards captaincy of clive lloyd if we remember they also uh, made match winning contributions in the 1975 and 79 finals respectively with a couple of centuries viv richards also got three direct hits in the 1979 final to make west indies defend the world championship that they had won in the 75 they were very unlucky to miss out on the 1983 world cup victory as the catch of viv richards taken by kapil dev was said to be the turning point of the match while india were defending a very low total coming to the squad of the west indies cricket at the moment of course we do not have the uh, match winners that they had during the late 70s until the early 90s but still they have got a very very talented group some of whom have had very exceptional performances on english soil in the odi format quite recently grace gale has always performed reasonably well in the t20 world cup as well as the odi bilateral series or icc events in england the re- the latest prodigy if you look at the performances of west indies cr- cricketers batters in england we can think of uh, 180 odd runs scored by evan lewis last time they had a bilateral series against england to add to the experience of chris chris gale and evan lewis at the top we have had a fantastic performers of late in the subcontinent by shay hope and shimron hetmeyer they are the rising stars of west indies cricket of course shay hope Uh, turned a corner in his career by scoring twin hundreds in the headingly test which won west indies the match that i think would prove to be the turning point of his cricketing career no matter what format he plays also led by a calm cool captain jason holder who is a fantastic all-rounder who had had a fantastic series against england in the test matches back in the caribbean with a double hundred and all rounders like ashley nurse roston chase and rovman powell they can really pack a punch at the end of the innings if they have a very good platform set by the top and middle order they definitely have a great chance of upsetting a few big teams and trying to qualify for the knockout stage because the format this time consists of nine league matches for all the teams which means five or six victories pretty much guarantees you a semi final spot so the onus for the west indies if they have to qualify for the knockout stage would be on their fast bowling capacity how they can get wickets up front and 
during the death overs because of late in england we have seen that scores of 360 and 370 are quite common in fact some of them even coming close to or touching 400 quite regularly and the top batting nations of the world like india new zealand and england have all, the openers have always done well in those conditions especially in day night games where the matches start around 1 1 or 2 pm so if we look at the recent past the england odi series in the caribbean uh, west indies have batters have always put up huge scores or challenged while chasing huge targets but it's the bowlers who have actually let them down in fact the series uh, was tied at two apiece which is quite good considering that england is now one of the top odi playing nations after owen morgan took over and with the emergence of uh, jason roy J- josh butler and J- best johnny best as well as the all round ability of stokes so coming back to west indies i think the lead role has to be pay- played by oshane thomas who is a new exciting fast bowler and with support roles played by sheldon cottrell and um, alzari joseph where it would be the key is if they can restrict the run flow during the middle overs they really have a chance to win and especially against the top teams their main chance would be to chase down a total rather than set a target because the bowlers haven't really shown any promise to defend even huge totals so the squad mainly should consist of a couple of spinners uh, spinning all rounders like ashley nurse and roston chase along with two fast bowlers and depending on the conditions if uh, it's cloudy and overcast we can probably have three fast bowlers and one spinner but i think the batting order now looks pretty experienced with at least 5 to 6 odi series under them even the newcomers i think where it would be important is if they can if they can really give them a solid start by having say a score of 240 to 250 for two or three wickets down maximum at the end of the 40 overs they have a real chance of getting 100 to anywhere between 100 to 120 runs in the final 10 overs that while chasing will be the best chance for west indies to create an upset or to qualify for the semi finals that would be my feeling towards the chances of west indies cricket looking at their history and the squad for the england 2019 world cup thank you so uh, we would like to say thanks to chetan for a very insightful and a, a well analyzed no snippet so this is a very good example of how our listeners can get involved with us and uh, we can have a discussion about uh, you know what we are doing in the upcoming weeks and you guys if you want to contribute you are more than welcome to send us a snippet or get into a discussion with us about it so 
now we have a historical perspective of where West Indies have come from and what their squad could look like. To see the squad take a final shape, I think uh, we can take a look at the players that are in and around the pool and so on. So, Giri, would you like to introduce us to the squad that we think will play for West Indies? Yes. Um, so, basically, we had um, the, this the last ODI series that uh, West Indies played uh, in was against England. And that was way, uh, at home. I think this concluded just a month ago. Um, so, we have taken the team that played in this tournament as uh, one of the starting points. Uh, to build our you know, list of probables, basically. So I will go through the list uh, one by one, and then we can talk about it in detail uh, towards the end. We can also have a chat about uh, who is in why and uh, stuff like that. Okay, um, so let's start then. So for the opening slot, we have uh, the Universe boss, Christopher Henry Gale. We also have Evan Lewis, the left-hand batsman, opening batsman. Um, and as a backup, we could possibly have, uh, you know, as, as an opening batsman backup, we could possibly have Shea Hope. So that's uh, player number three. Um, and then in the middle order, bolstering the middle order, we could have Darren Bravo, so the younger Bravo. Um, and then, of course, the charismatic uh, Shimron Hetmeyer. Uh, and then we... Um, we uh, basically run into the all-rounders. So we start with Andre Razul, who bats uh, very well. We've uh, you know uh, re- read about his uh, latest uh, uh, adventures. Um, he also bowls very fast, uh, right arm fast. Uh, and then we have the captain himself, Jason Holder, bat and bowl both. So he's an all-rounder. Um, so another all-rounder we have is Carlos Brathwaite, uh, who does the same bat and a uh, little bit of uh, right arm medium fast. Um, if Carlos Brathwaite does not uh, make it to the squad for any reason, uh, we think Kimo Paul could be a good replacement for him. So Kimo Paul is also uh, an all-rounder who bats and you know bowls medium pace, medium fast maybe. It's not so uh, fast. Um, and then we have Ashley Nurse, who is the other all-rounder we have, a spinning all-rounder, uh, off-break, off-break bowler, uh, right-hand batsman. We then have uh, Jomel Warikan, who is actually a left-arm orthodox bowler, and he is no mug with the bat. Um, however, if he does not make it um, to this squad, we think, you know, Given that we are seeing some administrative changes going on in the West Indies Cricket Board, Sunil Narayan could make a comeback in his place. Uh, and Sunil Narayan is quite good with the, with the bat, left arm, left hand batsman, and we all know about his bowling skills. Um, so, if he make, makes a comeback, I think that would be really good for West Indies cricket. Uh, and then we have the fast bowlers towards the end: uh, O'Shane Thomas, um, right arm fast. We have Sheldon Cottrell, who does left arm. Uh, fast medium bowling and then we have Alzari Joseph uh, who is a right arm fast bowler we also have another all-rounder that I left out in this list Ralston Chase he can bowl a bit of uh, off break we saw his eight wicket haul in the test match against uh, England recently and he's also good with the bat uh, if Ralston Chase does not play then we could possibly have another guy like Ravman Powell a like for like replacement uh, and uh, Alzari Joseph, if yeah, if for some some reason he doesn't make it, then we could, you know, we could have Kyron Pollard in his place. Uh, but that's again another 
question mark if Kyron Pollard, you know, makes a comeback to this squad. I think there is a lot of question marks about that. Uh, and uh, talking about it offline, uh, Ajit, Alzari Joseph was not in our uh, list of probables until uh, the the last match that he played uh, for Mumbai Indians this evening. So uh-huh. I think he made it to this squad um, on the back of that uh, six-wicket haul. Uh, that he, uh, you know, that he, that he got. So, um, so looking at this, so we finished uh, 15 players. Uh, so we have Chris Gale, Evan Lewis, Shea Hope, Darren Bravo, Shimron Hetmeyer, Andre Russell, Jason Holder, Carlos Brathwaite, or Kimo Paul, Ashley Nurse, Jomel Warikin, or Sunil Narayan, O'Shane Thomas, Rustin Chase, or Ravman Powell, Sheldon Cottrell, Nicholas Puran. A backup wicketkeeper, and then Alzari Joseph or Kyron Pollard. Right. Well, I mean, it looks good, and uh, this squad sort of—I mean, we think it's very balanced. But look, there are a couple of left field, uh, you know, suggestions. Kieran Pollard is one. You're right. Sunil Narayan could be another, as you said. Mm. And of course, now with Ricky Skerritt taking over as the chairman of CWI. Mm. We know he has a very good, warm relationship with Darren Sammy because he was sort of the manager and the man involved behind the scenes when West Indies team won the 2016 uh, T20 World Cup under Darren Sammy, the last tournament where he sort of represented West Indies and wore the maroon, right? He's one of those guys who may come into it right from the left field or right and left I used on the same sentence, but going further, uh, Mm -hmm. he may come in all the way from the left field is what I meant. So it's a complete surprise pick. He could still fit in here, you know. If you were to look about, look at this, maybe Rostin Chase or Roman Powell, this spot could be given to him. You know, this is still an opening here, right? This this Darren Sami is, is is a very interesting character. You see that he has a true leadership quality. You know, uh, his his middle names are Julius and Garvey. You know, and with uh, middle names like that, you can be uh, you cannot doubt his leadership today. Not for right? nothing, no. Yes. So and of course he has pedigree that he has won the T20 World Cup twice with his West Indian team, right? And he's really a good uh, motivator and a man-manager as well because, well, look look at his success with the Pekhawar Zalmi team. He won the tournament once and took them to the final twice. So he's almost a native Pakistani these days, they talk, right? His name is Darren Sami, they say. So anyway, um, when you think about all this, it looks like this could be a left-side pick, left-field pick. And of course, uh, Dwayne Bravo has announced his retirement from the one-day squad, uh, he's only available for T20s, but who knows, you know, if the right people have the right sort of words to say, mm. after all, he may have a swan song after World Cup, right? So, again, another player who may come into the picture. This is all ifs and buts, both uh, Sammy and uh, Dwayne Bravo, or for that matter, you know, Pollard and Narayan also to a very large extent. These are all ifs and buts. Let's see how it goes. And now, Mm-hmm. Let's now look at, uh, you know, what we do at the end of every team's chances, Kiri. Let's look at their uh, match schedule and what you think about, you know, uh, which matches they'll win and which matches I, I think they will win. Let's go about it quickly. Right. Um, Round-robin format. They play nine matches again, like every other team in this World Cup. Um, so the first match West Indies play is against Pakistan. That's a good, strong start to the to their World Cup uh, campaign. Uh, this is played at Trent Bridge. Um, I have, well, I have predicted that West Indies will win this. Uh, it's a bold claim, but I think West Indies are 
they look good on paper and think they have every chance of winning this uh-huh what do you think about uh, west indies pakistan well i'll give it to west indies as well is it, okay well do, do you want to hear my predictions first and then come up with yours or shall we do i it think it, it's good you can go through all nine matches then i'll either right. agree with you or disagree with you okay good good okay the next one is at uh, trent bridge again uh, they play against australia uh, i am going to say australia is going to win this um the third match they play is at uh, ags ball cardiff uh, this is against south africa i think south africa are too strong for west indies uh, they will probably pull this off uh, the next match is, is at the same stadium uh, ags ball uh, against england uh, this is a bit tricky for me because the last odi series between england and west indies was tied at 2-2 with one non finish um, in a in a five match series uh it's a bit close to call i think but then because england are playing in home conditions i'm going to say england is going to win this uh the next match is between west indies and bangladesh well um we i already made a prediction uh, when we were covering bangladesh last time around and i said west indies is going to win this so i will stick with that uh and then they move on to old trafford to play against new zealand um well i think new zealand are a bit too strong at this moment uh, mm-hmm. unless west indies you know strike good form in the beginning of the tournament uh, they can you know be like a rampaging river they will probably brush everything aside uh, so if uh, but i think at this moment i'll still say new zealand is going to win uh, against them and the next match is at the same location old trafford they play against india i'm going to say india is going to win this because they are the top two side but you never know mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. say india um the one after that is against sri lanka uh, when we covered sri lanka i said west indies going to win this so west indies will still win this um the last mm-hmm. match that they play is against afghanistan at headingley leeds right um well i predicted west indies is going to win this so i'm going to stick with that so that makes it 1 2 3 and 4 four victories for west indies out of nine matches right i'm a bit harsh let's see what you got to say well i mean i think you may have it spot on but i'm i'm the optimistic one right i'm the one Absolutely. who's full of uh, amazing and uh, unreal optimism so i'll go again with that look um they have an advantage here going into the last 2 to 3 of their matches knowing because some of their last 2 to 3 matches are against let's say in air courts weaker sides mm. they have a chance of sort of estimating you know even if they were to win or lose against india what sort of a maybe run rate they show up and then go all out in the last two matches and win them so it gives them sort of an advantage against sri lanka and afghanistan they are one of those people who's uh, you know luck of the draw is a bit favorable right and having said that um mm-hmm. i'm going to go uh, i'm going to let's say agree with you more or less down the order except the match against south africa mm-hmm. i'm going to say they may pip south africa to the post i have a feeling this west indian team is slightly stronger than the south african team so maybe our placing of west indies you know as the sixth mm. team on the list might or the sixth from top might be a bit harsh but it, let it be i would say uh, sixth or seventh even so i would say it's good i have a feeling they are going to win five matches rather than four because i agree with your four and i'm going to tell they are going to pip south africa so that basically means they are going to qualify for the next round mm-hmm. they are going to qualify or they are going to put their hat in the ring to be qualifying for the knockouts this is my prediction for west indies let's see how it goes so, so you are basically telling that they are probably going to be one of the semi finalists 
Yes. Because we don't have the knockout stage, right? So we just have round robin and then semifinals and finals. Right. So, so I'm going to say yes. Wow. Well, I think I will be really happy if that happens because we are waiting for this revival and we almost saw that in the test series against England and also in the ODI series, which was you know tied at 2-2. Mm-hmm. And it may well be that we they, they are catching the right, uh, you know, that they're they're going to catch the crest of a wave on, on the right moment. I think they may well peak in the World Cup. And then hopefully we're going to see a West Indies uh, team of the old, you know, even better, hopefully. Indeed. I mean, uh, this is a longer discussion, but uh, what we were discussing offline, you know, they have a very good setup of fast bowlers coming through. And that was the original engine that drove the West Indian mm. success, so to say, for more than a decade and a half, right? Mm. Mm. So... You know, we may see a real, I mean, there have been a couple of false dawns. This might be the real one. And I don't want to jinx it. I'm going to leave it at that. Right? <laughs> All right. That's okay. Yeah. Let's go further. Let's take a quick look at some of these miscellaneous, uh, you know, uh, news that uh, are going around the cricketing world. So uh, related to West Indies, the first one we can go through quickly is that, you know, Richard Pibus, who's currently the coach of West Indian team, has, you know, there are hints that because Ricky Skerritt has taken over as the, you know, the president of the CWI, him and Richard Pipers don't really see eye to eye. And what we have seen is a report that sort of hints that Richard Pipers could be asked to step down as the coach of the West Indian team, right? And uh, basically, Ricky Skerritt in an interview said that uh, a cricket review process is underway and they're basically looking at the coaching structure top down, Right. All the way to the grassroots. So that might be an indication that maybe, you know, Pibus was actually having a contract until the end of July when uh, sort of West Indian team came to and finished the tour of India. Maybe that might be terminated a bit sooner, right? He, If you remember, he only started in February at the end of Jan, more or less, when mm-hmm. Stuart Law left to take over uh, an England county team, right? This is one thing. The next thing we can take a quick look is, uh, well, um, the ICC anti-corruption unit has decided to coll- collaborate with Interpol, the world uh, policing body, let, so to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, yeah. So that basically means there'll be some exchange of information between uh, the uh, ACU and Interpol. And basically, they will sort of use also the local police contacts that Interpol maintains. right? So they're going to take on Interpol as a partner. How, um, how thorough this partnership will be? Because Interpol already has its own anti-corruption unit or anti-corruption unit in sports, so to say, right? So one of uh, the assistant directors of Interpol's criminal networks in an interview said that they're going to start cooperating and have meetings and they want a very collaborative approach. But maybe this will take a couple of years to take shape. But one way or the other, if that really happens, this is a huge, you know, this is a huge step mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. fighting cricketing corruption. So it's a very welcome, let's say, uh, step for me, right? So, and the next news we would like to quickly mention is that, well, Karuna Ratna, Dimuth Karuna Ratna, who, who's DOI or uh, driving under influence charge, mm-hmm. we have discussed last episode, right? Yeah. This guy, uh, well, I mean, uh, he has been fined uh, what is about 1.3 million Sri Lankan rupees or uh, 7,500 US dollars, right? Mm-hmm. He's been fined a very, very, you know, uh, exorbitant sum as a deterrent. So uh, the spokesperson for SLC, Sri Lankan cricket, said that this large number they have fined him, this is more or less what he would earn in a test match or a bit more than that is what mm-hmm. they said. And they want this to be a proper deterrent to all their cricketers. So I hope this sends the right uh, message out to the Sri Lankan people. And 
maybe he'll he'll be forgiven and maybe he'll be adapted back into the fold rather sooner than later this is the feeling i get about it but let's see how it develops the story mm-hmm. right now um the former indian women's coach uh, tushar arothe or arothe i don't know how his uh, surname is really pronounced arothe yeah tushar arothe his um, well i mean he's been arrested for some betting related activity so he was arrested from cafe stock exchange in baroda baroda or vadodara Uh, which is sort of co-owned by him and his son and uh, all the owners of this pub have been arrested uh, in the match or in relation to the match between kings 11 and punjab and delhi capitals so there is not a lot of information uh, available but it's it's something i think we can keep an eye on unfortunately somebody who was uh, only recently forced to step down right and uh, he he stepped down from the indian women's coaching job because of some discord with the seniors in the team is what we heard so well we'll see how this really this incident uh, or this this story develops because he's completely denied all charges which is what everybody does and maybe there's nothing to it as well right all right now going further we have a couple of interesting topics first one of those is that there has been a shake up in the leadership of afghanistan cricket team so close to the world cup it comes as a surprise so basically askar afghan who was leading afghanistan in all three formats has been asked to step down right and in each of these formats a new captain has been appointed so gulbadin naib has been given the captaincy of the one day squad rashid khan has been given the captaincy of the t20 squad and rehmat shah uh, the upcoming test batsman star in the team has been given the charge of the test cricket team and also uh, rashid khan will be the deputy in odis shafiqullah shafiq will be the deputy in t20s and hashmatullah shahidi will be the deputy in test cricket so this comes as a bit of a surprise to us so close to the world cup that they have chosen to replace a captain of four yeah. years standing right and that too who recently won them their made uh, in test match victory i don't know what is going on giri do you have any idea about this um what what's his age is he like 35 or 36 uh, no 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 he's 31 really? 31 going on 32 really that's, yes that's probably even the best age to be a captain Yes, that's I mean, a bit strange for me. Uh, I don't know if uh, this is going to help them because I think he has stabilized the team. He has also helped them flourish, you know, in all these formats. Exactly. Uh, to achieve their first test victory. So, is it a good time to change this? I don't know if there is more than meets the eye here. Maybe something Maybe. happened Maybe. Uh, off field, mm-hmm. which has led them, you know, to take this decision. Um, so, it, 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 I'm really shocked, actually, not surprised, but I'm really shocked that they changed their captain. before a world cup so exactly yeah. i mean this is this is sort of comes uh, from the left field as they say but you know i mean well i mean a couple of points his his predecessor navroz mangal retired at uh, 33 34ish right, right. and uh, he moved into administration and coaching and that sort of stuff maybe they are you know they have some talks they've had some talks with askar of khan and maybe he's given them some hints mm-hmm. right and maybe based on that look he has not spoken at all what we have is the official release from afghanistan cricket board and yeah. some uh, players like mohammad nabi and rashid khan really not happy with it i mean the seniors in the team let me put it like yeah. this the senior statesman in the team sort of speaking up saying what are you doing right but uh, given that he's been silent maybe either he's holding his tongue to speak at the right time because you know rashid and nabi have used words like irresponsible and biased and they have taken to twitter yeah. to criticize the board so but- 
Yeah. But Asghar Afghan still remains part of this team, right? He's not yes, out, yes. out of the team. So No, no, no. No, we don't know that yet. I mean, they have not announced their squad yet. Mm. That is that remains to be seen. But I really don't see well, given that in the last three ODIs that he played against Scott Ireland in that series against Ireland, I think he had three fifties. Right. He was, he that was that would be silly to drop him. Okay. Maybe he's, uh, you know, he, he's also fatigued. He's also suffering from fatigue, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. But in that case, you know, guys like uh, Rashid Khan wouldn't have spoken out in public. He would have first communicated to his colleagues, right, before mm-hmm. uh, taking this step, saying, I'm going to step down. Mm-hmm. So, l- like I said, it's probably, there is probably more than meet the eye. Uh, so, let's watch out what's going to happen. I think uh, uh, maybe nothing will happen. Maybe nobody will speak up until the time is uh, right. <laughs> When he well, will see on, maybe uh, autobiography, maybe, yeah, um, yeah, which yeah. happens these days. Indeed, so, indeed. I think the yeah, once you retire, they don't have any. You don't have a contract with them, and maybe you have more freedom. Mm-hmm. But really, I don't see an autobiography expose from Askar Afghan. It's not the right thing in that region. That's not how it works. I think uh, you don't know many Indian players or Pakistani players who have written a scathing autobiography or a biography but well uh, Afridi by the way just speaking of it Afridi has promised that another one of his official biographies is coming out and it will tell everything about his cricketing career so watch out for right. it when I mention Afridi well you know we joked about it last episode and yeah. ages right maybe yeah. Askar Afghan has a different number as well I was going to say that actually <laughs> I was going to say that yeah well I mean jokes apart I'm really hoping some sanity will prevail. And because the senior statesmen in the team have sort of come out very strongly, mm. maybe he may be reinstated or maybe this decision might be revisited before the at team. At least is... for the ODIs. At least for the ODIs. Exactly. exactly. I mean, it would have made sense to give him a swan song and then let him, uh, then ask him to step down or maybe he steps down voluntarily. That would have seemed reasonable. That would have seemed like this is a change of the World Cup cycle. It's the right time to appoint a new captain. All that would have come through sort of logically. But anyway, let's see. Okay, another important news, well, not important, but a developing story is that if you remember Haseeb Hamid, the young England opener who had come to India in 2015, was it? 2015, 2016, right? Yeah. He's, he's sort of back in the news. Mm-hmm. Even 2017, if I'm not wrong. Sorry. He's back in the news and uh, he scored a 218 run innings in the opening first class fixture of the season uh, for his team, Lancashire. And uh, against a university 11, but that doesn't matter for us, right? So, given that there is a bit of uh, space in the England uh, Ashes squad for an opener, what do you say about it? Okay, um, so Hasib Hamid, uh, you know, this guy made his debut uh, against India when he, at the age of 19, right? So, and he's more of the Jeffrey Boycott mold. Uh, not a good comparison, but I think. He's, uh-huh. he's an old-fashioned guy, you know. Yeah, you wouldn't compare he's, he's, Jeffrey Boycott to anybody, but uh, why not? Go in on. terms of blocking, you know. Let's Got let's you. be honest. He's, Got you, I'm teasing. We, he's Got one you. of the best blockers ever, uh, Jeffrey right. Boycott. Of course. Um, so, uh, and looking at uh, the English uh, test team right now and the struggles they had, especially the opening batsmen uh, in West Indies, uh, there was this guy called Keaton Jennings. Or there still is, uh-huh. uh, but... Uh, I don't see him making a comeback uh, for the Ashes, upcoming Ashes in the summer, English summer. So if that is indeed going to happen, if that's indeed going to be true, then if uh, Keaton Jennings has no place in the team, they will be looking for a replacement. And one of the potential replacements could be this guy. And 
by the time the ashes begin if he can crank up some runs and you know put up some uh, consistent performance on the county circuit uh, for lancashire um he might well be back in the reckoning i don't know if he was ever out of the reckoning but i think he will probably be there uh, he's just 22 now so it was 3 years ago that he made his debut mm-hmm. so at the age of 22 he's got a long career ahead of him if he makes his comeback to the team it will be good for him as well as you know another change for the uh, test squad but um yeah we will see how it goes when they play against australia in the ashes though so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. good luck to him indeed indeed i think it's nice to see such a nice talent coming to fruition we really uh, hope that you know he can come back to the squad and nail down that opener spot right mm-hmm. uh, rory burns the other opener is also sort of new in the team so i think they can build careers around that so yeah. we really hope so you know there was one alistair cook who did the same he started well a certain alistair cook who took away 12000 runs well that's another story yeah that's another it? story of course yeah but they always All start it. young right so you have of to course, start of course Indeed, he started well too, Alistair Cook. He scored a debut century. You're right. All right then. Uh, those are all the topics we wanted to discuss for today. Now, uh, now the trivia question for today, as always, is somewhat related to one of the main teams we were discussing all through the episode. So, the question for this week is: Who scored the first ever double hundred in a 50-over World Cup match? Right. Mm-hmm. His name may have come up once or twice also in this episode. If you have been listening carefully, I think you know the answer. It's a very obvious answer. So I'm really hoping our fans and our listeners and our supporters all over, please do write into us. You can contact us using our Twitter handle at armchairfreakpod or via our Facebook page, right? Or you can write into us at armchair.cricket@gmail.com uh, with the right answers or any other thoughts you may have or any other thoughts you may have about uh, participating as a guest. you know you heard another another guest who stopped by today for a small you know who contributed a snippet so you don't even have to join the call if you are not comfortable with us right and of course you know in the upcoming episodes we have quite a lot of teams that we are going to review so we are at number 4 in the position uh, we are starting top down so or bottom up so we have six more teams and all the exciting teams coming up and what i can tell you is we'll have more guests joining us for example we have some guests lined up who may join us for england review or south africa review and so on and so on so we can't reveal too much at this stage but i hope uh, this you know pricks up your curiosity and you join us for the upcoming episodes having said all that guys that's all from me and it's a goodbye from him bye bye you're listening to the armchair cricket podcast